Am I on? I think I am. Um, today we're going to look at something in the book of 1 Samuel. And I know that we've all had a lunch and everything else, and you're probably wondering why or who, whose idea was it to give the long-winded guy the afternoon lesson. I don't think it's going to be that long. 40 minutes, maybe. We're going to look in 1 Samuel. We're going to look at some of the things that Trevor talked about this morning, actually. Um, after hearing his lesson, I kind of pivoted and did something that um, I hadn't planned on doing. But it's a good lesson about understanding suffering that is brought on by decisions made by ourselves, uh, decisions made by other people. And in this story, there's a lot of suffering going on, and there's part of it is that some of those that are in direct conflict against God's will, and they're willingly and working against God's will and what He wants. And then some of it is people just not understanding God's will, and there are consequences and suffering because of that. And so we're going to look at David's decision in bringing home the Ark of the Covenant. And it comes at the expense of a man who apparently thought he was doing the right thing. Um, this man's name is Uzzah, and it comes in 2 Samuel chapter 6. And these lessons we kind of go through and we see kind of an outline of what goes on throughout this, that God must be honored at all times. That there's excuses do not or will not override obedience, and that the number of people involved in a situation or a decision are not relevant to God. And I think as we see that, before we do that, though, let's talk a little bit about the history of this thing called the Ark of the Covenant to get us to the point of where we are in the book of 2 Samuel. The Ark of the Covenant, we know from Exodus chapter 25 that it was a, basically a gold-plated box about the size of the Lord's Supper table here that we have, maybe a little bit smaller. And there were two cherubims or angels at the ends mounted on the top of this box that were spread their wings, and this was called the mercy seat. And the Ark was sick, significant because the Ark was the place where God met with His people. This is the place where sins were forgiven under the law of Moses. This is the place where the high priest would go into once a year to offer a sacrifice and make an appeal to God on behalf of all of the people. So you can see the significance of what it was, and they were instructed to make this ark back in the book of Exodus. And when the ark was first built, it was carried through by priests throughout the wilderness. If you remember, when God gave His law and His commandments to Israel... He gave them while they were wandering in the wilderness, while they were traveling. So their tabernacle that was built, it had to be mobile. And they could build it and tear it down. And they had very specific places that all the tribes of Israel had to sleep in arrangement around that tabernacle. They had specific jobs that they each, tri each tribe had to do in breaking down and putting that tabernacle back up. The responsibility of, or one of the responsibilities of the tribe of Levi was to transport the Ark of the Covenant. Only the tribe of Levi could transport the Ark of the Covenant. And the law was very specific in this, and that there were, they were not to ever touch it. You'll see in the image that there are gold rings on the side, and they were to run staffs through the side of it, and they would carry that, and they were not allowed to touch the Ark of the Covenant when they were transporting it. We know, however, that during the book of Judges, Israel kind of drifted away from God. That's the pattern of Judges. If you read the book of Judges, they would drift away from God. God would raise up a judge or, or, or someone to punish them, and then God would raise up a judge to deliver them. And one of these instances, they kind of used 
the Ark of the Covenant like it was a good luck charm in one of their battles. And they lost the Ark of the Covenant to the Philistines. And it's it's captured by the Philistine army. They put the Ark in one of their own temples. It was kind of to say, we have the Ark of the Covenant of the God of the Jews, the God of Israel, and we're going to put it in our temple to kind of essentially rub it in a little bit. And their God, the temple that they put it in, was a God named Dagon. It was a half-man, half-fish God, and they put it in front of their altar or their idol. And the next morning when they came in, that idol was knocked over on the ground as if it was worshiping God. They stood it back up, and the next day they come back in, and the head of the idol and the hands of the idol were cut off. So they began to panic a little bit and think, maybe the God of Israel is a little bit more than what we thought. So they start taking the Ark of the Covenant, they take it out throughout their lands, but every place that they took the Ark of the Covenant to, people started getting these terrible tumors. So they moved it around and moved it around, and they became quite frantic in moving it around, and they finally decided, we've got to get this out of our hands. So they took two cows that had calves, and they separated them from their calves. And they put the Ark of the Covenant on a new cart, And just to see what would happen, they let the cows go, thinking that the cows would want to go back to their calves. That didn't happen. The Bible says that the cows started directly going to Israel. And as a matter of fact, it pretty much implies that they were moving on their way. They were singing on their way, and it says that they didn't go to the left or they didn't go to the right left their calves, there's a lesson in there about the cows if you think about it, left their calves for God's plan. They get to Israel, they take the Ark of the Covenant, and they split the cart up, and unfortunately for the cows, they sacrifice the cows. (laughs) Unfortunately, several people made a huge mistake of opening the Ark of the Covenant. And it says there that 50,000 people lost their lives because people unwisely, maybe even foolishly, opened the Ark of the Covenant to look inside and see what was in it. So, the Ark of the Covenant stayed at the home of a man by, by the name of Abinadab, Abinadab for a period of about 20 years. And that's kind of where we come in the story of David. Now, why was the Ark of the Covenant important? I mean, we have all of these things where it's location, that's where God sat, and that was in, in the mercy room, essentially. And that's where sacrifices were made in the year. But what was in the Ark of the Covenant? Well, in that Ark of the Covenant were the law, the tablets of the law was given on to Moses, the bud, the rod that was budded of Aaron. And so these were things that God wanted to protect. And there was great power in this. And David says, we need to get this thing back. And it's a a good idea on David's behalf if you think about it. It's a good idea. And it was honestly from a God-honoring place in his heart to go and say, we need to bring the Ark of the Covenant because it belongs to us. It belongs to our God. And we need the Ark of the Covenant back in Israel. So we see what 
David does to go get the Ark of the Covenant. Again, David gathered together all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people that were with him from Baal to Judah to bring up from thence the Ark of God, whose name is called by the name of the Lord, of hosts that dwelleth between the cherubims. And they set the Ark of God upon a new cart. We've already got a problem. And brought it out of the house of Abinadab, that was in Gibeah, and Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drave the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was at Gilbeah, accompanying the ark of God. And Ahio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel played before the Lord, and all manner of instruments made of fir wood, even on harps and psalteries and on timbrels and on cornets and on cymbals. Before we go on, I want you to notice. This had... All the right heart, all the right intentions. This was something that Chronicles talks about this, that they were dancing, they were happy, they were praising God. Their intents were in the right place. Their hearts were in the right place. And when they came to nations, Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put forth his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God smote him there for his error. And there he died by the ark. And David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah, and he called the name of the place Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, How shall the ark of the Lord come to me? So David would not remove the ark of the Lord unto him into that city of David, but David carried it aside into the house of Obedidim, the Gittite, and the ark of the Lord continued in the house of Obedidim, the Jittite, for three months. And the Lord blessed Obedidim and all of his and his household. So you had a man, David, that had all the right intents of bringing the ark of the covenant back. Or was it the right intent? What does David say here? How shall the ark of the Lord come to me? At what point did he consult God and how to get this back to Israel? How to get this back to the temple? Up to this point, he never consulted God. He never went to a prophet. He never went to a priest. And the priest that he did go to actually gave him poor advice. Uzzah ultimately pays the price for that. And I find it interesting whenever we think in today's terms of how people view God, how people view the Bible, how people view what God wants for His people. And they say it's not modern or it's out of date. I present to you the case of Uzzah for something not being modern and outdated. It makes more sense, it's much more logical for them to transport that heavy thing on a cart. Why should four people carry around a box plated with gold nonetheless whenever we've got wheels, cattle, horses, carts to transport it? Because that's not what God wanted. 
In Numbers, they were given very specific instructions on how to transport the ark. Poles were to be inserted. The sons of Kohath, or Aaron's sons, were to carry it on their shoulders. It wasn't an outdated. It wouldn't matter if it was outdated. It doesn't matter if we think something is outdated. We don't think, it doesn't matter if we think something isn't modern. What matters is God's will. And unfortunately, there were a lot of people that didn't realize it until it was too late. And unfortunately, Uzzah lost his life because of that. God must be honored at all times whenever you think about His plan and what He wants from His people. I suggest to you this afternoon that Uzzah died because of his irreverence. It's very easy to go, well, Uzzah was just one of the sons of the guy in the house and he was just doing a good deed, transporting that ark. Whose job was it or is it to know the law of God? Was it just the priests? Or was it Uzzah's, Uzzah's responsibility to know his role and his responsibility? When you look in the book of Deuteronomy, God has been giving instruction to Moses, and Moses has trans- given that instruction to Israel, and he's talking about all of these things in the law. And this is what he says in verse 6. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them, teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thy house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them from a sign upon thine hand, and thou shalt be as frontlets between thy eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. Whose responsibility was it to know God's law? It was just as much Uzzah's as it was David's, as it was the priest's. This was an instruction that was given to the priest alone. This was instruction that was given to all of Israel, and this was well before Uzzah's time, but this was documented that this is what God expected. That He expected that they would honor Him all the time, talking about His Word, that it would be in the forefront of their mind, that it would be written in their homes, that that was something they talked about at home when they were outside the home, that it would be consistent. And you can't do that if you don't know God's law. Uzzah should have known his role. It didn't matter if somebody told him it was a good idea. It didn't matter if someone said, go ahead and take care of this, put it on the cart, and touch it. It didn't matter if it was the high priest. If Kerry was putting together the speaking schedule for month of December, and he went up to Kelsey, and he said, hey, I need you to preach in the month of December. I'm sure that whenever Kelsey and Trevor got in the car, Kelsey would go, Woo! In your face! <laughs> you know that's not how that would go. And I don't think Carrie would ever do that, don't get me wrong. You know exactly that's not how that would go. Because Kelsey knows God's will. And what God wants in that time. 
Just because someone of a position of authority says it's okay, doesn't make it okay. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 28, Wherefore we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. And this is a theme that is over and over throughout the Scriptures. There's a proper understanding of our place and our relationship with God and having that proper respect and fear. And that relationship transitions over time as you grow and get older and that thing it turns into something that's a little bit more loving. But this element never goes away. Understanding that God is a consuming fire and what He wants from His people is what He ultimately will get. Whether we do it now or we face it in judgment. And a modern idea of the details of the, of the ark. You know, the ark was supposed to be handled by the Levites. It was supposed to be wrapped in a pr- pr- protective cover. It was to be carried on foot by using poles through rings. And it said specifically in the book of Numbers, and so that they will not touch the holy objects and die. God said this a long time ago. And he gave the very reason, don't touch it because I don't want people dying. In this moment, Uzzah failed his responsibility for knowing God's will. I don't know how much he knew. But apparently he didn't know enough to stop and say, wait a second, we should have never put this on a cart. He didn't know that he shouldn't be touching it. And those people that were around that made this decision and put him in that position to make another bad decision, there is something, some judgment against them in this as well. But the same principle applies whenever we look throughout the New Testament. That there, the details matter. What God wants from us matters. Even if we think it's outdated, Those details matter in what He wants from us. We can't just cast them off aside and say, well, this is a better way. Or my heart is in the right place. My intentions are in the right place. Because thirdly, excuses will not override obedience. It's a popular belief to believe that works that are done with a good and honest heart do not jeopardize a person's soul. A life that is lived in a good and honest heart as far as worldly consent standards are concerned does not jeopardize one's soul. Paul had good intentions whenever he went about the process of persecuting the church. Noah gave his lesson a few weeks ago and he was talking about Paul and that what God said to Paul that he was going to suffer essentially the same amount of suffering in which he put on others. And in that moment, it dawned on me, Paul was a bad, bad man. You think about the chapters in which he lists the problems, the times that he was beaten, imprisoned, shipwrecked, 
If all of those things were being doled out essentially at the same level in which he was doling them out, Paul was a bad man. But he had good intentions. He thought the spreading of the gospel of Christ was worth imprisonment. He thought it was worth death. He thought he was doing right by God in his persecution. He could have excused everything off with the intent in his heart and what he wanted to do. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter in the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say unto me that day, Lord, Lord, have I not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I find this passage amazing, as I've always had since I became a member of the church, because this is a lot of what American Western Christianity is. Haven't I done all of these things in your name? Haven't I given up my Sundays in your name? Haven't I given up time that I could be fishing or camping or watching football for your name? Look at what I'm doing, God. This is all in your name. And what was the one parameter in that passage? There was a singular parameter. He that doeth the will of my Father. Unfortunately, Western Christianity looks at things and says, you know, this is the way I see things. And my heart's in the right place. I don't think God will judge me for that. I wonder if those same people thought the exact same thing as they were standing out that gate. I've done all of these things in your name, but I haven't done the one thing that you wanted me to do, which was obey. Uzzah failed to obey. From beginning to end. We can put this off all around, all around, all the priests and everybody else that was involved. There were thousands of people that were involved. But at the end of the day, Uzzah was responsible for him and him alone. And he failed. He disregarded what God wanted. And there was no amount of good intentions or excuses that could overcome that. number of people involved in a decision or a situation is not relevant to God. Think back to that passage that we just read in Matthew chapter 7. There were a number of people standing outside the gate and they were banging on the door. They're wanting to be let in. They're telling all of these wonderful things that he's done. And he said, I don't even know who you are. When we look at the book of 1 Chronicles chapter 13, it actually is a little bit more detailed version of what goes on that we've read in 2 Samuel. 
I want us to notice uh, what was going on leading up to this decision. What was going on leading up to Uzzah getting on that cart and putting his hand on that ark? In 1 Chronicles 13 and verse uh, chapter, chapter 13 and verse 1, and David consulted with the captains of the thousands and hundreds and with every leader. And David said unto all the congregation of Israel, If it seem good unto you, and that if it be of the Lord our God, let us send abroad unto our own brethren everywhere, that are left in all the land of Israel with them also to the priests and Levites, which are in their cities and suburbs, that they may gather themselves unto us. And let us bring again the ark of our God to us, for we inquired not at it in the days of Saul. And all the congregation said that they would do so, for the, for the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. I want you to notice from an organizational leadership type thing going on, David did everything right. Who did it say he consulted? The captains of the thousands and hundreds and with every leader. I want you to notice that he even went to the Levites and their cities of refuge and their cities that were stationed throughout Israel. And he made a call to the city, to the, these cities and called the Levites out. So he knew the high priests. He knew the priestly function. He knew that they needed to be involved in this. But at the end of all of it, it came to a decision on what the group thought. And ultimately, a man would die because of that. It all seemed good and right in the eyes of all the people. This is very similar to what it says throughout the book of Judges, isn't it? That in those days there was no king, that everybody did that which was right in their own eyes. And what is the book of Judges? Pretty much chaos. The entire book of Judges in Israel is a time of chaos in which there was death and destruction. And you had all of these people doing right, was, doing right as they saw it. You go to 2 Samuel, you go to 1 Chronicles, you go to this man by the name of David who is after God's own heart, and what does he do? The exact same thing. The process for failure in this began here. Here were the leaders, the priests, everybody that should have known what to do. And every one of them at every level in this decision was a failure. And I know that we have the value of, you know, hindsight being 2020. And it's kind of like when, I, when you study this, it's almost like one of those documentaries of an after the fact of a great tragedy and you, they go through and here was all the things that didn't happen and this was the result. But that's exactly what happened. And that's there for us to understand what needs to happen. You know, Proverbs talk about there's a way that seems right in the man, but the end thereof is death. This is a perfect example, a perfect application of that proverb lived out 
through the words of the Old Testament. At the end of all of this, who does David go and consult? God. It took death, it took pain, it took suffering for him to go and consult God. When we look at the life of David, and David's one of these people that we've put on, you put on a pedestal because of verses that talk about him being a man after God's own heart. But David was a very, very flawed man. And David is no different than you and I. David gets entrapped in the exact same things that you and I get entrapped in. Whenever we look around us and we don't take the time to always honor God. And by honor, I mean being obedient to what He wants. And thinking that we can make excuses through a heart of good intent and still be wrong and still be on the opposite side of what God wants. The reality is, is David and that name and that title being the man after God's own heart was a man that made some bad choices and bad decisions. But you know what made him the man after God's own heart? His willingness to get right with God. He made mistakes. He didn't bow up. He didn't cry. He didn't whine. He immediately turned to God. Even in the suffering of the consequences of his actions, he would worship and turn to God. That is what made David a man after God's own heart. A constant desire to turn to Him, to please Him, to find out where he's wrong, to find out where he needed to get right, and that's what David did here. In 1 Chronicle chapter 15 and verse 13, it says that David pulled the Levites into a special meeting. And he said, because you did not carry it at the first, the Lord our God made an outburst on us, for we did not seek him according to his ordinance. In chapter, in a few verses later, it says, the sons of the Levites carried the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders with the poles thereon, as Moses had commanded according to the word of the Lord. A lot of lessons in that, but ultimately, if you'd have just started out with God, you wouldn't have ever been in this position. The question is this morning or this evening, have you started out with God? Ultimately, where are you in your relationship with God? There are a lot of modern ideas of what God is about and what He wants from us. But ultimately, He wants 
us to be obedient to him. The one that enters to heaven in Matthew chapter 7 is the one that does his will. Have you submitted to him? Have you submitted to Christ? Because I would hate for you to be like Uzzah. One day, touch the wrong thing, make the wrong decision, and then you don't get the right opportunity to do it again. We can help you today. If you need to submit to Christ, if you need to submit to Him in the waters of baptism, we can help you with that. I also realize that sometimes we need help, we need prayers, we need strengthening. There's times that we don't, we do what David did. And we don't consult Him in decisions in our life. And we need support. We need help. We need, we need a hug. We need some, a word to an ear to bend to us. We can help you with that also. If you would find yourself in either of these groups, we ask you to come forward as we sing the song that's been selected.